0: Tonight's episode of Board Chitless is sponsored by The Game Steward. The Game Steward is an online game store offering Kickstarter board games out of print and imported games at reasonable prices. It's time to
1: play. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Board Chitless. This week, uh, it's Lecky, and I'm joined by
0: Tristan.
1: And we're taking a slight departure from our scheduled programming, our usual programming this week, and we're just going to have a little chat about some of our favourite solo games. Should we explain why we're doing a departure? Let's go for it. Because we played Seventh Continent again, because we're a bit hooked, <laughs> and we thought it might be boring to carry <laughs> on talking with about the same game again. A, it's amazing still, and B. <laughs> We don't really know what we're doing when it comes to survival on an island. So that leads us straight into, going in no particular order, what our favourite games might be that are either designed as a solo experience or, as probably is more often the case, a game that has solo rules or can easily be modified to play solo. So do you want to go first, Tristan? In?
0: Yeah. Um, interestingly, I think Seventh Continent would be an amazing game solo and is and has been a great game solo, but that's not going to be in the top three that we're that choosing not, to talk not about. not making tonight. the informal countdown? The, inf- the informal list of the top three favorite solo games in the world ever at this moment in time due to change potentially by tomorrow, depending on a given mood, <laughs> that's...
1: That's the criteria, right? Yes. It'll be quite a difficult set of initials to reel off the top of your head. But you also left out the, uh, in my humble opinion, at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. So, this is this is the top three favorite solo games for me right now.
1: Okay, cool. So, what would um, what would be number one, two, or three?
0: Right. So, in, in no order because I couldn't choose. <laughs> Go for it. So, let's start with um, my most played solo game of last year, which... I didn't design, which is uh, Warfighter, the Special Forces card game. Fantastic, yes. Which is um, a, quite a surprise to me, actually, because there are other games that I would have thought thematically more interesting to me, even though this is... I mean, don't get me wrong, Warfighter is top of the list for me. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But I tend to think, like, if I'm going to play a solo game, I want to sit down and play something epic, I'd choose something like a, with a fantasy sort of nature or, you know, something that's a really... Um, Lots of big, bold moves and brave
1: decisions and daring do.
0: I guess Warfighter has actually. Um, And one of the things I think that's hooked me into coming back to it repeatedly is the the campaign mode, Mm -hmm. which actually, ironically, is a little bit stitched on with warfighter this isn't to disparage the game i love warfighter as yeah probably evident from the podcast that we did <laughs> specifically on warfighter but this is um the campaign does feel a little bit um it, it works it yeah. works really well and actually it's the only way that i play it but it's very very simplistic you if you lose that's the campaign over yeah so there's no sort of um real tracking of uh success over the course of the campaign you either win or you don't sort of thing um, if you do win, you get a number of points and you rack up those points as you go. And then by the end of it, the total number of points you get for completed missions is going to show whether or not your campaign, your special forces campaign had an impact yeah. and what sort of victorious impact that was and whether or not it was sort of a drop in the ocean or that you've actually managed to win the war on terror <laughs> or you know, whatever yeah. sort of obscure objective it might be. Um, and the after each mission if you win and you go on to the next one to make it harder, you roll a D10 okay. and it gives you uh, like a penalty, like a handicap that right. you have to apply to all to all uh, scenarios moving forward. I so see. it can be some something as simple as like, um, all of the skill cards are now more expensive. And it's like a weird sort of set of arbitrary um, impediments that yeah. you can suffer after each mission. And the, because it's a dice roll... You could actually get the same one over and over and over, <laughs> technically. I mean, it'd be unlikely, yeah. statistically unlikely, but you could. So you could have it that, for example, you price out skills for the rest of the game because you keep getting the same result. So it's, it's a really sort of strange kind of thing. It does work, but it is, it's is—it's very sort of old school method of solving yeah. something like that. Instead of, you know, if it was a deck of cards of disadvantages, you would get, you know, you'd, you'd stack them up yeah. um, and they'd be different by their nature. But because it's a die roll you can just get the same thing every time. So it's a little bit strange in that respect, but the gameplay is so addictive, it does keep me coming back. (laughs) And you can have things like following on from mission to mission, like if a soldier's killed in action, he'll remain dead for the rest of the campaign. And you can set up your own campaign. So you could have like, I'm particularly fond of using the British Special Forces, for example. So you can have a British Special Forces themed campaign where you've got British troops, British equipment, um, and you go off into either the jungle or you go into the Middle East and fight the army or an insurgents or Eastern Europe. So you can choose a theater of conflicts, or if you want, you can link together different theaters over the course of the campaign. Um, But basically it's just a different way to play warfighter. And at its core, it's a scenario based game where you take a bunch of troops, special forces troops, drop them behind enemy lines. They go off on a mission to hunt down uh, scud launchers or evil bosses or whatever, and just take out loads of soldiers on the way. And, um the gameplay is for me incredibly addictive so much so that i racked up a ridiculous number of plays of this game <laughs> last year and and uh, i don't always make a note of every game that i play but i do track warfighter because it's interesting because of the campaign to you know to see where my soldiers are up to so just taking a glance at some of the scribbled notes showed exactly <laughs> like how many games i played <laughs> and it was ridiculous um so yeah so that's that's my first entry in the uh the top three solo games that I'm playing now and enjoy.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> um, If if that little um, snippet of, Warf- of Warfighter is has kind of um, intrigued you a little bit, we did cover Warfighter between us uh, a couple of weeks ago. So if you look back through your footlocker of SoundCloud files or the iTunes library, you should be able to pick that out and then just hear a bit more in-depth about the game and what we thought about it as part of a two-player game. Um. I find it interesting that you were saying it's a bit of a simple game to play as a solo, and you thought that might work against it, because one of my pick, um, one of my favourite solo games, is The Networks by Gil Hover. Um, And it's a game picked up at um, UK Games Expo last year. It started off as a multiplayer experience, so it's um, it's a competitive game where you're each trying to run a cable TV channel. So you have to balance TV shows with your budget and also advertisements that will get assigned to different shows and also you're picking up um, star actors or minor celebrities in order to go into them. You can have comedy shows, you can have um, reality shows, you can have all sorts of different genres to go in there. Certain actors and actresses want to be on attached to certain programmes. So your minor celebrity wants to be in a reality show. Um, your leading man wants to be in a tv movie or he oh, wants okay, to be cool. in the um large production sci-fi so there's all these things that kind of keeping you um lots of decisions to make about how you can most efficiently get the best show out there for the longest season um longest period of time and um, get them in the right time slots and stuff and what was really great about this game in terms of a solo version the solo rule set is that um gill came up with a really great idea for managing how what, you can simulate the other players playing along with you. So um, you each take a turn one after the other. So when you're playing solo, you take a turn, but obviously you'll take your turn again. So each time you take a turn, then one of the actors or the um, program cards or the time slot cards will evaporate. And so a lot of your strategy, because it's it's essentially set out like a tableau in front of you, you've got your card um which will say here's your time slots this is how much resources you've got and you'll see that there's uh, some documentaries out there there's a drama there's a comedy and you've got an actor that really wants to be in that drama and you want you see an advertisement that will work off that as well so you pick the advertisement up and then the drama could evaporate in front of you so you have to constantly so it's getting bought up by another network exactly Yeah. yeah So you have to constantly think of a plan B as well as what your plan A is. So if I can't get this, I'm going to jump for this other one.
0: So you're going to be like two moves ahead sort of thing.
1: Exactly, yeah. And it really uh, really keeps you thinking. And sometimes, you know, you get really lucky. You manage to combo everything that you wanted to move against and it just like works out really nicely.
0: How does that pay off? Do you get victory points for it or something else?
1: Yeah, so it all works out on how much money programs generate. So having that, optimizing the right show at the right time with the right actor or advertisement, we'll just bring in more money, 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 money. And you'll just keep rinsing and repeating. There's prob- there's um, optimal times to get rid of shows and cancel them and bring in a new show to so make sure that you're maximizing that each time. And you've got about five turns or so five seasons in order to make as much money as you can and build up the amount of viewers that your channel's actually generating, which will work out as actual victory points in the end. So there's big viewer tracker Around the tracker board, and you just keep lapping that as many times as you can cool. before you run out. Yeah, yeah, bring it. I've not, I've not seen it is, nor played. It's, uh, I have heard of it,
0: but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and it's
1: very unlike our usual. It is. And, it is. Uh, yeah, it. it's on the lighter end of the gaming spectrum, but it's by no means super simplistic. Right, there's a thinker. Yeah, and there's enough going on where you can, you can keep ahead of it, find out, what, keep you know keep abreast of all the developments, but then still have a laugh with it. It's a really funny game. There's a lot of visual comedy in terms of the artwork and some like very tongue-in-cheek with the way that the flavor text and programs are named. A good one for the younger players, but a good one for the solo gamers as well.
0: Game number two in no particular order. Once again, just clarify that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, again, limiting it to three is extremely difficult, but I don't think there's any number like right up to 20 that would be any easier to, to narrow the list down to. Um, But I'm probably going to have to go for one that would be no surprise to anybody who's ever seen any lists of solo games, which is um, Mage Knight, the board game, which is consistently voted as number one solo game of all time in polls the world over. Uh, And for good reason. This is by Vlada Javatl, who is um, one of the best game designers in the world and kind of my hero. Uh, And basically he goes around from genre to genre designing a board game in a different field entirely and mastering it, then moving on. Like I'm sure I've called him before, like the Stanley Kubrick of board games. He's just like, you know, through the ages is another one of my favorite 10 out of 10 games, but it's not not really soloable. But yeah, Mage Knight. So Mage Knight, the board game, is uh, essentially a fantasy adventure game, but it's very, very different in that it's a real brain burner thinky game. So it has a little bit of exploration, Little bit of combat, little bit of deck building. Your yeah. deck building is your deck is your health and you're leveling up the cards within your deck. Um thematically, it's weird because I you know, I love thematic games and there's sort of quite a big um not quite a big, there's a disconnect between the theme and the mechanics for me personally, where the the deck building doesn't quite fit with the movement and you sort of have yeah. the the background is you're this weird mage now that's come to this land to like dominate it and just attack all the people and the castles and take over the place. And if you want, you can burn villages to the ground and really, or monasteries to the ground and really yeah. cause chaos and get a bad reputation. Or you can play it as a nice guy and uh, draw the people to you through negotiation and stuff. Um, but there's very, there's really sort of very peculiar mechanics where you basically run out of um, movement points sort of arbitrarily, depending on what cards you've played. And, I see. And sort of games like game turns come to a natural stop when you've just worked your way through your deck which actually um i guess represents you literally running out of energy in the game world but all of the interactions with the game come down to um not dice rolls yeah they are based on the cards you have in hand so you'll flip over an enemy you'll see its stats you'll look at your hand and you'll try and find a way to overcome this enemy but all the enemies have like a like a ton of different special abilities resistances elemental attacks poison attacks summoning attacks and like a billion different things you have to consider and um and so unlike most fantasy games where you sort of have a clear picture of what you're doing in the game yes in this you're sort of using an ice crystal to summon a stone golem and using your rage to do a a thing and in a given turn, you'll be doing about 10 different things by the end of the game where you're playing down card after card after card, <laughs> adding up like these rather complex mathematical equations yeah. to solve the puzzle of the enemy that you're facing in front of you or enemies. Um, and that said, if I'm making it sound like a negative experience, it really isn't. It's thoroughly, utterly addictive. Um, it's a bugger to set up and it takes a long time to play through. It takes me about um, probably the best part of two hours to you know go through a whole yeah. game. Um, but the experience is so rewarding, and it's the kind of game that when I when I do set up, games are few and far between. But once I do, it stays on the table for bloody ages, and I'll <laughs> I'll keep going back to it, and I'll and it's like relearning it from scratch each time. I'll, yeah. I'll get like a, a cheeky victory, but I won't get like a romping like three hundred point score because I'll be like, how do you play this game again? And there's a billion different things to remember. But all those things, all the different rules and rules exceptions and stuff, make for a really uh, deep game experience and it is very gamey yeah more so probably more mechanical than thematic for me personally but it's that doesn't detract from the experience at all it's absolutely it's a blistering yeah. uh brain burny really deep enjoyable experience um and very puzzly but very cool with a uh, lovely like fantasy map to explore yeah. as well so. so you just
1: break out the trusty old slide rule and uh do some dec- <laughs> deep maps
0: yeah get your logarithms and yeah. your trigonometry <laughs> well, i
1: can see what the attraction would be especially in a solo experience like, it's interesting that you've gone fantasy for pick number two and it's interesting that you've gone for something with a bit of a um a lot, a lot of resources for the table um because i've also picked number two i'm going to take off my professional podcast co-host hat and put on my gooey fanboy hat. I'm going to pick Gloom of Killforth by little-known games designer Tristan Hall. There's a massive shill alert here. We're not trying to just sell We should, We should video game. this
0: so people can see the gun to your head. Right <laughs> exactly,
1: yeah. Oh, no. Tristan's got a nice uh, shade of beetroot. Hopefully we won't embarrass him too much. But um, yeah, it's um, one of the first games I picked up I uh, basically played it with playing it in solo uh, in mind. Just because they it's one of those games where it, not having a lot of stuff at home where apart from the PlayStation where you can actually just get a game out on the table, and have a really deep experience on your Todd. Um, it's a game though that I've have had great games with my mates getting them around playing with it. and the rules they just work just as well for like multiple players to do for the solo experience. Um, with the way that the game sets up having the location cards out in front of you, plus all the nemesis cards that you can have for the big bad fights, all the different encounter decks, all the different item decks. Um, It's just really difficult to have the same game twice. In fact, it's practically impossible. So that's what keeps bringing me back because it's a rainy afternoon. I've not got anything to do. I could hoover, but I'm not (laughs) going to. I'm going to bust out Gloom of Kilforth and I'm going to have a nice rollicking adventure. There's loads of different characters I can choose from. There's loads of different items. I'm determined to win with the vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Are you having
0: much success with him?
1: Oh, (laughs) Uh, no, I, um, I tend to get too big for my boots mid game and then, um, crippling myself almost, um, or not managing the, um, location cards properly or not hiding enough early. That's what usually, yeah, that's what usually (laughs) is my downfall. Um, it's just getting hammered by monsters when you're not really expecting them to. Just staying out in the Badlands. But yeah, it's just a really fun, enjoyable solo experience early. Um, and as fantasy games go, it's cracking. There's everything that you could want in there. Meet the cobalt or come across games game, see werewolves and lich. <laughs> lich and lichen. I never, lichen froop. <laughs> never quite know how to pronounce those ones. No one does. Yeah, exactly. But um, it's a good, deep experience. Like I was saying, there's plenty going on. You can. There's a lot to manage, and it just keeps it keeps you going. There's like tons of booty and treasure to pick up on as well. It's just it's just got a, a lot going for it. A lot of moving pieces to keep you interested. So well done, you <laughs> for coming up with uh, such a decent solo experience.
0: Well, thanks very much, Lucky. That's made me very <laughs> <laughs> embarrassed awkward. And not awkward now, um, but that's <laughs> awesome, and I'm really glad that you do enjoy the solo experience because obviously that was a huge part of you know, the design and the reason for the design um, was to make sure that it had like a consistent, coherent solo vibe. But yeah, we tried to crowbar as much into that as possible. So
1: Nice. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's all good and continue to do so. Brill. Okay. okay so what gonna a... we're yeah, going to gallop on over to the next the, uh... one.
0: So number three on my list, again, in no particular order of quality. Um, and this is agonizing because whatever I choose for this one is going to nudge out. Three or four like other amazing games on the list, but I'm gonna um plump for Kingdom Death Monster, nice, which is just a stunning achievement by anybody's standards. This is um, this was my first Kickstarter game that I backed, and I honestly thought after I'd spent the money um i'd probably never see it again <laughs> it was about four years in the making and i think that was before people had any expectations that kickstarters can take some time to yeah to come around
1: it's a heavy duty pledge as well wasn't it really
0: well it, well it wasn't that much My, well it was at the time it was it was a lot to pay for a game but i i pledged 150 dollars yeah ori- originally which now is in a miniatures game is probably considered quite cheap yeah you know that was to get like the basic game and a survivor level i think and um, but as soon as as i was given the opportunity i went all in on on the expansions to get all the extra content and stuff which barely even scratch the surface of because this game is a monster it's absolutely mammoth the um so adam poots took all the, the million dollars or whatever two million dollars that he made went away disappeared off the radar but he did keep people updated and um, he did keep him in the loop he had a pre-existing yeah. business selling world-class miniatures and everything so there was a lot of hope that he would come up with the goods but i think there was also an expectation that the game would look pretty and um, and maybe that would be the extent of it yeah it's, um,
1: just, it's just a good way of picking up a lot of really nice miniatures yeah
0: yeah which i think probably i might still have been happy with the miniatures are amazing the world that he like hinted at was really cool seeming there wasn't even a, a like a, a playthrough video or a rule book or anything yeah. people would were buying into this really grim, dark world that he'd created. And when he came back, when the game finally landed, it was breathtaking. Like, it is massive. It is crowbarred, full of lore about the world. It has an incredible play experience. Yeah. The um, the dungeoneering part of it is completely not what I was expecting at all. You're building a settlement of people, of survivors in this brilliant world that's based heavily on sort of a lot of uh japanese manga type stories like berserk and things like that yeah um where you're these survivors with nothing in the world waking up in darkness and they're suddenly being eaten by a massive freaking lion <laughs> and they have to try and survive and like you know claw its eyes out yeah. with their fingers and stuff and all of a sudden it sets up this amazing world, like nightmare world where you're up against like a, a series of bosses and between the boss fights you're developing your village and your settlement as you go it's got everything. The settlement building stuff and the tech trees in that are really addictive. Yeah. The exploration before you go on the hunt is quite short, but it's also um, evocative. It has great, cool, like, random events that you go through. And then the actual boss fights themselves are brilliantly imagined. Every single fight is very different. Loads of games that have come out since have followed suit. we talked about Dark yeah. Souls recently, which is basically like they've taken a part of Kingdom Death yeah. and just concentrated on that, the boss fights. Um so yeah, the, it, it, for me, broke all boundaries and, and just d- delivered a completely different experience to anything that I'd seen before. And it was like, he mentioned that Warhammer Quest, the original version, was his original sort of inspiration. Yeah, And he took that and just leveled up the whole experience of it. Yeah, it
1: kind of evolved the um the medium, didn't he? To make a sort of survival RPG experience yeah, as opposed I think to so. what was available. Rather than just a standard dungeon crawl.
0: Yeah, and I, and I don't think anything has come close since yet. Which no. isn't to say, I mean, there's not been much time for that to happen. Um, and you there have been other, like, hugely ambitious sort of dungeon crawlers and stuff, but nothing yeah. has really got the sense of scale or world building uh, that he's delivered um, with Kingdom Death. It's just, it's remarkable by any stretch of the imagination or definition. Really, really stunning achievement.
1: Yeah, it's a real, it's a, it's a brilliant game. It's very, very dark. But like you said, it's deep. There's uh, so much material to, like, delve into there. Yeah. And so, so much in terms of like items and crafting and then character experiences and development, yeah. Yeah, it's I, really... I would,
0: I, I probably would prefer, like, you know, if we could pick it up as a campaign as a group again, mm. um, because there's a lot to track in the solo game, yeah. But you then you have complete control and you're experiencing the full story, so you know, yeah, uh, like the story of every single character. In, in a multiplayer game, if your character gets killed off, which can happen within seconds of a fight <laughs> starting, uh, that can be disappointing. But in a solo game, you know, you, you battle on with the rest of you, yeah. whoever's left sort of thing.
1: Fantastic. And like we are saying, you know, before it's like games where the solo rules are so similar to the multiplayer rules, it's, you know, you don't have to learn a whole new part of the rule book. You can just get stuck in and exactly. really enjoy it. Yeah. Nice. Well, I've gone on a different tact for my third and final game. Looking forward to it. Let's yeah. It. So it's not survival. It's not dungeon crawly. <laughs> If anything, it's, um, it's more of a puzzler. It's Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Ooh. Yes. You play the part of one of the Baker Street originals. Uh, I've probably misquoted that. Um, it's been a short time since i played it. But essentially, these are the fanboys of Sherlock Holmes that follow him around and have been sort of semi-deputized to help Sherlock solve cases quicker. But instead of letting you do that, what Sherlock does is just rub your noses in how badly (laughs) you've attempted to approach the case and then show you the right way to do it. So the base game was released in like 1981. um, It's had a recent reprint since. Um, the version I've got is from Ystari Games, but when I looked it up on BoardGameGeek, it said plus 11 other publishers. So this game's had more publishers than I've had, had hot dinners. <laughs> is that
0: different languages? Then, I think it probably is. I think it's probably
1: years. different languages <laughs> and probably something to do with the reprint in recent times. Yeah. Um, but as games go, this one's a bit of a blinder. It's very original um, in the way it's set out. It's probably one of the first storybook games. So you get a compendium of cases, there's 10 cases to begin with. Each case comes with its own re- unique use- newspaper, which has got a couple of red herrings in there. It's got some completely redundant information, a couple of advertisements, <laughs> and a bit of um, uh, sort of like semi-fictional um, historical musings in order to set the, t- the time and period. And it gives you a directory of people. Um, so you might come across someone's secretary, so you will look them up in the directory give you map coordinates which is essentially a reference in the case book to read a new paragraph and to see if you can glean any new information yeah. as you're running around london looking at clues you'll be um collecting points so the more locations you go to the more points you accrue and the more points you've got in the end probably less likely it is that you've discovered it in an efficient manner as uh, Sherlock has. So you've
0: got to do it in f- as few turns as possible. Right, exactly
1: yeah, there's a few clues and areas which will you'll get for free so if you go to visit the wife of a murdered person then it'll probably be accepted that you'll visit them or you'll visit the coroner so it'll let you have those but you don't know until the end which of those were free or not so you're still having to really choose which locations you want to go to um it's a very straightforward game to play you just need a notepad and a pencil to keep jotting down clues as you go to them so you don't have to keep going back and forth in the in the clue book um but the great thing about it is it's very much akin to doing a really good crossword (laughs) it's such it's such a puzzler you just sit there you have an argument either with the people that you're playing with or in my case yourself (laughs) and you just you just crack on one of the downsides to this game as a multiplayer experience that i've noticed is that it's easy to play with people that are non-gamers but they tend to burn out quite quickly after um about an hour of playing and this game can easily run for like 90 minutes if you let it because right. you just it's just you versus the clock really yeah um People tend to drop out. I know if I play it with my wife, she'll it will be about 45 minutes before she's coming up with excuses to leave the table. Hence the solo. Exactly. So you bring it out as a solo and you can just work through it at your heart's content. You can pick it up one night. You can put it back down. You can just keep reading over the notes again and come back to it if you want to. A bit like playing a game of chess with someone over <laughs> Skype or whatever. And it just it's just a really, really nice game to play um there's 10 cases in there so you've got loads to go over then there's additional cases and expansion available and you just got loads to get on with i just really enjoy it it's definitely one for the being cut out you've got an extra afternoon on your own you don't really know what to do You've watched all the Marvel movies. <laughs> so I just pull out the big old box of Sherlock Holmes inside it. Is it possible
0: to watch all the Marvel movies? There's so many of them. <laughs> <Thanks>. Well, <laughs> that's it, it, that's an interesting choice. I've, I've obviously never played it solo. I've never actually played Consultant Detective. But we did play um Tales. Yes, we did. As a group. And I was really impressed with it. Yeah. it was, um, so that's basically the same game. But instead of Sherlock Holmes themed cases, it's you're in Arkham. Exactly. Down Cthulhu minions and stuff. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was really clever design, and it's obviously a complete rip off of uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. Mm. So the same sort of applied detective abilities, going from location to location based on clues and stuff. Yeah, it's, and it's the same really mechanics. Yeah. Elegant, simple, really I mean, straightforward game mechanics. Yeah, you just you're reading a book and you're trying to sort of gather the clues, but you choose. Which parts of the book you're going to read based on the clues that you've experienced, and that's it. You yeah, get like a mini narrative as you go, don't you? I don't, it, does it work the same in Sherlock Holmes? We had like an experience where you know we went into the wrong house and got knocked out. Do you have things like that happen, or is it um, uh, sort of more passive things happening?
1: It's more a lot of dead ends and red herrings in Sherlock Holmes uh, yeah. consulting detective. So you'll. Um, for example, you might find a cigarette wrapper on the floor and you'll be like, right, I'm going to go to the tobacconist and find out who would smoke this brand of cigarettes. Yeah. And they'll give you a list of 15 people and you can go around to each of those people <laughs> and it'll get you nowhere. <laughs> um, there is one complaint with Sherlock Holmes Consultant and Detective is the fact that it's a French game that's been translated to English. Yeah. And in a couple of the cases, there's some language issues that kind of lead you up the garden path so to speak. Oh, no. That's yeah, going to be the worst thing to exactly. happen in a translation between games. <laughs> exactly. It's, um, it's a very, very minor criticism. Can, well, can
0: it break it or is it just you might misinterpret the gist of it? Or I think you can heavily misinterpret you, one you of can the cases. It. Yeah, you can, oh. it can be a breaker.
1: Um, and
0: you of course won't want to check the FAQ for that because that would be you don't, you don't, you spoilers. You, yeah, you
1: don't want to know it's coming up in which case um so yeah that's it can be a bit of a problem there but then you've got the additional cases that you can also work through and like you're saying if you've enjoyed to Holmes homes and then you want to play mythos tales because it's practically the same game just a very different setting yeah you're gonna have it's it's just like getting extra cases for one game or the other if you've played one and really enjoyed it i strongly recommend you get a copy of the other one because all you've got is just more original content that you can work through like you mentioned mythos tales is a lot more modern um it was it released just a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. So there's You've new mecha- time to learn from that. Yeah, there's new mechanics in there. You you can basically get discovered as you're trying to find out where the cult is. And you have
0: sanity as well, or something, do you? I think you track like an ability or something. Yeah, there's a few I things um
1: going from game to game. Yeah. No, it's um it's very much a series of one off experiences right. in the consulting. Detective. So you just pick
0: up wherever and just pick a new scenario. and 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 go yeah yeah
1: yeah, you kind of recommended to go through it in a linear fashion because the newspapers all stack up so when you're on case number four you've got the newspapers from cases one till three to help you as well oh
0: so you're actually drawing from quite a lot of material yeah so it it, it keeps it keeps banking
1: up and you kind of get a bit more of a realization as to how Sherlock you're trying to work out how Sherlock might do it but honestly there's nothing like it sounds awful but you're clawing out your hair wondering how the hell this murder took place then you think you've just about managed to solve it and then you get to the solving stage Sherlock comes in and tells you you were wrong (laughs) it took you a very long time to find out you were wrong (laughs) and also you could have just done it by just looking at this person straight away right so it's always like it's it's amazing it's great amount of satisfaction finding out what actually happened and at the same time you feel like such a fool (laughs) for not realizing any sooner (laughs)
0: So if you want to be overshadowed by the towering intellect of Sherlock Holmes, it's the game to go for. Now, I'd, yeah, I'd look forward to actually giving that a try because I did really enjoy Mathos Tales. So I'd love to see the original in action sometime. That's it.
1: If you like a um, heavily wine-stained copy of the newspapers <laughs> in a game, that can certainly give you a good lend. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Nice one. Well, that's uh, those were, our, between us, in no particular order, our top six solo games experiences. If you want to add to that list, then feel free to get involved in the comments section or uh, drop us a line at the Facebook group, hashtag board and let us know what your favourite solo games. Have you been a bit hacky and decided to create your own solo variant for a game where it doesn't actually have official solo rules? Please let us know and uh, get involved with that chit chat. Thanks very much, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye!